Good morning. This morning's reading is John 11, 1 to 44. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into this world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the Gospel of Christ. And it's lovely to see you. You're especially welcome if you're visiting with us this morning. And if you have a Bible, do keep that open or the reading will be on the screen. And as we come to God's Word, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God who is humble enough to come and speak to sinful people like us. And we pray, please, through a simple person now, speak to other sinful people. We pray, dear Father, that you would help us to hear your voice and give us grace to be encouraged by it and to obey it. For Jesus' sake, amen. I thought God loved me, and then the doctor told me I had three months to live. I was told that Jesus wanted my best, but my marriage is falling apart. I thought Jesus was looking out for me, and I've just lost my job. For some... These are not hypothetical situations. We've said or we've said things like that. We've wrestled with things like that. Perhaps we are wrestling with unexpected, painful things like that. And we wonder sometimes, perhaps often, where is God? What is God doing in the midst of all of that? Others of us maybe in a totally different situation. Maybe actually life is quite rosy and we feel like life is going well. We haven't suffered much, but one day we will. One day a job loss will come. One day we will be diagnosed with a sickness. We will lose a friend or family member. And then how are we supposed to respond as Christians? Well, this morning... We look at a little family of believers, two brothers, uh, two sisters and a brother, and their happy home is shattered suddenly by illness and then by death. And on the surface, it doesn't look like God wanted their best. In fact, it seems like God has turned his gaze away from them. But I want us to see that God is deeply involved, that God is working at a deep 
level in their lives, not for their temporary, temporal happiness, but for their ultimate, eternal good. I want us to see this morning that everything that happens to us is for God's glory and for our good. I've got a slightly cumbersome sentence Alex is going to put on the screen, and I want to unpack that as our four points this morning. And I want us to go home rejoicing in this truth that everything that happens is for God's glory to make us know Jesus better. We still grieve. It doesn't get rid of the pain. And many of us this morning deeply are in pain. But we know that in everything, God is working for our ultimate good. And my prayer is that truth will so go down deep into our hearts and minds that if we're in the midst of trouble now or when one day it comes, when the unexpected happens, both the good and the bad, it will be imprinted with these words, for God's glory and for my good. Well, let's take this first point. Everything that happens is for God's glory. In verse 1, you can take that down now, Alex, thank you. In verse 1, we're introduced to Lazarus. He's a man from Bethany, and he's two sisters, and he's sick. And we see in verse 3 that the sisters send word to Jesus. Jesus seems to have an especially close relationship with Lazarus. Lord, the one you love is sick. I wonder what you do, what you think when sickness comes. I guess sometimes we're tempted to think it's because we've done something wrong. Tempted to think it's because God is displeased with us. Either way, we think it's something that needs to be removed, and removed as soon as possible. Well, with that in mind, Jesus' response is striking, isn't it? Verse 4, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. This illness is for God's glory. The purpose is so that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, may be glorified. I don't know about you, but that's not a category I normally think in much less when something bad happens. When something bad happens, that's normally a suggestion that God isn't glorified. Look at the suffering in the world and how many people say, if there's a good God, how can there be this suffering? But Jesus' words should be full of comfort for us. When something terrible happens, it's not because it's an accident. It's not an act of divine displeasure or wrath much less that God has dropped the ball, that he's fumbled things. No, it's for God's glory. And of course, in the first instance, these words apply to, ja- to Lazarus. But we can say from the rest of the Bible that this, this applies not just to Lazarus, not just about sickness, but everything and anything that happens to us is ultimately somehow for God's glory. Now, we need to be careful. Often we think when somebody else is glorified that comes at my expense if god is glorified that means something bad must happen to me or my loved ones but that's not how it works with god it is how it works in our offices and our families sometimes isn't it if my colleague is praised if my brother or sister is praised it often means i'm not or at least not to the same extent in a sense their glory comes at my expense but not so for god When God shows his glory, his godness, his weightiness, if you like, it is good for us because it means that God is being more godlike, more loving, more gracious, more kind to his people. And as we see his glory, we're enabled to trust him, to rejoice in him, to walk with a deeper hope in him. But what is for God's glory, what is for our ultimate good, is often deeply shocking. Verse 3 is like a prayer, isn't it? 
Lord, the one you love is sick. Do something. And if someone's sick, how do we expect God to be glorified? Surely by healing them. Healing them quickly. And yet that's not what Jesus does. If we'd been writing this story, I guess we'd have written it. So that Jesus hurried quickly to Bethany to be at Lazarus' side, to lay his hand upon him. But look what he does, verse 6. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It's not that Jesus doesn't love Lazarus. Couldn't be more clear in verse 5, could it? Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And yet, verse 6, he stays where he is two more days. Verse 6 is actually a little bit misleading in this Bible. It says, yet Jesus stayed there two more days. And you can understand why they translated it yet. But literally the word is so. Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so he waited where he was two more days. And that's such a shocking word that the translators of this Bible soften it. If you get the newer version of this Bible, they put it back to so. Jesus loves Lazarus and so he waited. And I take it that means the opposite is true. If Jesus had loved Lazarus less then maybe he'd have hurried to him and Lazarus would not have enjoyed this amazing experience of being raised from the dead. Would have meant he wouldn't have endured the awful grief and pain of dying. His family members wouldn't have endured that grief. But they too would have missed the experience. It's because Jesus loves him this happens. And friends, isn't that a wonderful comfort to us if we're in the midst of a trial whether that's sickness or loneliness or grief and the devil whispers to us this is because you've done something wrong this is because God is angry with you no this passage tells us very clearly devil be gone this is not because God is angry no this is because God loves me that somehow that I cannot understand it is for God's glory and my good devil be gone as we look around the world, as we think of Christians being killed in Iraq, in Syria, as we think of them being killed in, in North Korea, we think, God, wouldn't you be glorified if you just wiped out that evil? And yet maybe God is more glorified by his people standing firm under immense pressure. Maybe you look at your office, you look at some relationship, and you think, if God is to glorify himself surely he'll sort out this mess and yet maybe god is more glorified by us standing firm faithfully in the mess well jesus waits two days and then he says let's go back to judea look at verse 11 our friend lazarus has fallen asleep but i'm going to wake him up and the disciples don't you just love the disciples characteristically they misunderstand jesus if he's asleep he'll get better he just needs some time in bed so Jesus tells them plainly, verse 14, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. I think I've said from this pulpit before, uh, about three and a half years ago, my father-in-law died very suddenly and unexpectedly from cancer. We thought he'd have much longer to live. And Charlie and I, were, in God's goodness, happened to be in Ireland where he lived. Normally we lived in London. And we were so grateful that we were able to be at the hospital before he died, to spend a few hours with him, to pray with him. And yet, do you see what Jesus says? It jars, doesn't it? For your sake, I'm glad I was not there. 
I'm glad I missed out on holding his hand at the end. I'm glad I missed out on saying goodbye. I'm glad I didn't get the chance to pray with him for your sake. Because it will lead to your belief. And it sounds harsh. And yet, with the benefit of hindsight, as we look at this chapter in the round, we can see how this works out for God's glory and for the good of the disciples. But there are many situations, aren't we, where we cannot see that. We will not see that until we get to heaven. And yet, even in the midst of terrible grief, in the midst of great hardship, we need to know this truth, don't we? We need to be ready for when the tragedy comes that we can say, even though I cannot see, even though I cannot understand, I know somehow, deep down, this is for God's glory and my good. Everything that happens is for God's glory. Secondly, to make us know Jesus better. Jesus and his disciples go up to Bethany. It's a couple of miles from Jerusalem, from the big city, so crowds of people come out to mourn with Mary and Martha. Martha goes out to meet Jesus at the edge of the village and she shows her faith, doesn't she? Verse 21, if you'd been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. How true is that? Could have just laid his hand upon him. Sickness, go. Jesus says, verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha affirms her orthodox belief. I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus uses this desperate trial to intensify and strengthen her belief. Not just that Lazarus will rise in some general sense of the word. No, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Friends, we need to see the greatness of these words, don't we? That for the believer in Jesus Christ, the massive barrier of death is removed. That whoever believes, yes, they will die, but they will live again. And that new life starts now. Look at verse 26. Whoever lives and believes in me, or as another translation says, whoever lives by believing in me, that's the Christian. The one who knows that their sins are forgiven. That they can have a relationship with God the Father. That eternal life begins now. We have a wonderful personal relationship with God that can never be taken away, not even by death. It's often said, isn't it, that death is the last taboo in our society, the one thing no one wants to talk about. I think I used to believe that until I went to the young adults camp last weekend, and one of the young adults told me that they did a paper at university on death studies. So maybe it's not the last taboo anymore. But it is still something we don't want to talk about, isn't it? We put out of our minds. And the world at large does that, doesn't it? But I wonder if that's crept into the church. We don't want to think about death. And yet, these verses remind us we have no fear of death. That great barrier, that statistic that will come to every one of us, holds no sting or fear. No, we pass into a new place, into the presence of God reminds us the moment we trust in Jesus Christ, we're absolutely safe. This is the reason that ultimately, whatever happens to us cannot harm us. It must be for our good. Even if the worst were to happen, even if we were to be killed, even when our loved one dies in Christ, that's the moment they enter into the eternal fellowship with God. It's as if they merely fall asleep. There was a vicar in Cambridge who, in his 50s, I think, 
went to the doctor, I think, with a headache and was told that he had uh, cancer, had six months to live. And he broke out into a smile. The doctor thought he was crazy. Go home, come back in a week and let me tell you again. And he lived the rest of his days on earth with great joy. He knew where he was going. And even when the trial involves pain and suffering and sadness, it is for our good because ultimately it forces us to hold the things of this world lightly and to cling to Jesus, to trust him more intensely. And this is Martha's response, isn't it? Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. And then 26, he asks her, do you believe this? Jesus knows she believes. Of course he knows she believes. And yet she's to believe it deeper. Look at verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She gets who Jesus is. It's this terrible experience, the death of her dear brother, that makes her grasp. Jesus is the Christ. He is my Savior. He is the one who will raise me up from the dead. Well, can I say a word to any unbelievers here? It's wonderful that you're here. If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, it's great that you're here. It's wonderful that you're under the teaching of the Bible and, and wrestling with some of these things. But can I just ask you, what do you do with the mess of the world? How do you understand it? Is it really entirely random? Is what happens to your family just meaningless? Or worse, some kind of cosmic karma for your past misdeeds? Do you see what Jesus says? If you come to him, he is the way, he is the resurrection and the life that he offers you. Life, life that begins now as you come into fellowship with God the Father and then one day, eternal life in heaven forever. He promises that there's meaning and purpose in the world. That what happens in this chaotic, this world full of suffering is not meaningless. Much less it's not cosmic karma. Is loving care. He offers to shepherd you. We've just sung, the Lord is my shepherd. He offers to be your good shepherd. And friend, if you've never checked this out, can I encourage you, take away a Bible. We don't have Bibles to give away, I don't think, but there's some at the back. Steal a Bible. Take it away and read John's Gospel. Download John's Gospel from the internet and wrestle with this. Who is Jesus? Who is the one who can say these incredible things? Everything's for God's glory to make us know Jesus better, but we still grieve. This is the third point, desperately important point. We still grieve. Martha goes and gets Mary, who comes out with many Jews in tow, and she, tow, and she falls at Jesus' feet. And verse 33 is a surprise, is it not? When Jesus sees her weeping, or better, wailing, think of a Middle Eastern funeral with mourners crying out. This is not a sober, quiet affair. This is a desperately real and loud event. When he sees her wailing and the Jews who'd come along with her also wailing, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows not only that Lazarus has eternal life, that one day Jesus will raise him up at the end. He knows that in a few moments... He'll raise Lazarus from that tomb and speak to him, see him, talk to him. And yet the certainty of eternal life, the certainty that God is working for Lazarus' good and for his glory doesn't in any way remove this pain of suffering. Sometimes when we suffer, we're allowed to see what God is doing 
aren't we? We know what he's doing, or we sense what he's doing. Still doesn't remove the pain. That vicar, I mentioned a moment ago in Cambridge, he lived his last few months full of joy. He knew exactly where he was going. But I remember someone who was a dear friend of his saying, it's wonderful he knows where he's going. It's wonderful he's full of joy. But he needs to make sure he lets his family grieve. Because for them, there is little joy. There's comfort, they know where he's going. But there's just pain and sadness awaiting them. How true is that? And not just in illness or in death, but in all kinds of trials, the loss of a job, loneliness, mockery for our faith, all kinds of things that make us grieve. Although ultimately they're for God's glory and for our good, they are truly and deeply painful, are they not? And the danger is we stick the gospel on like a plaster. We say just, it'll all be all right, it's working for your good and God's glory, and so just keep your head up, just put on a smile, and we encourage people to act as if everything's sorted. But you see, Jesus weeps. Friends, are we being more human than Jesus when we act as if we don't need to weep? If we act like everything's sorted? No, we're free to weep. Indeed, Jesus weeping is seen as a mark of his love, verse 36. Take it, that's why we're commanded to weep with those, to mourn with those who mourn and to weep with those who weep. We need to feel free to cry, secure to weep with those who need us to cry with them. Maybe there's some here who've been put off by our lack of compassion. The lack of tears from a Christian just seem to be caught up with things eternal and no sense of the sadness, the horror of this world. Well, I'm sorry if that's been your experience, but do you see that's not how Jesus is? Jesus weeps. Last weekend at the Young Adults Camp, I think before every session, there was an interview with somebody who's struggling. And it was so wonderful, so painful to hear, but so wonderful that those young adults were able to open up and say, life is hard. Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. But there is a difference, isn't there? We do not grieve as those without hope because we know that life is more than jobs, more than marriage, more than family, more than even life itself because we know we have ultimate security in Christ, which brings us to our final point. Everything that happens is for God's glory. To make us know Jesus better, we still grieve, but we know everything is working for our ultimate good. Verses 38 to 45 are the climax of our passage, aren't they? As Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead with the ease with which we might raise a toddler from sleep, he shows his glory. He demonstrates that he is the resurrection and the life. He assures us that we have nothing to fear from death. But you do notice also, the several references to how it's good for those who believe. Good for them either because they'll put their trust in Jesus for the first time or because they grow in love and knowledge of him. Look at verse 38. Jesus is at the tomb. You can imagine a cave with a stone in front of it. And Jesus orders the stone to be moved away. And in the middle of verse 39, Martha says, Martha, the sister of the dead man, in case we'd forgotten, by this time there is a bad odour, for he's been there four days the height of the Middle Eastern day and he's been there four days and his body is rotting. Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe you'll see the glory of God? And Jesus says, this miracle will benefit you, Martha, as you see God's glory. Well, we see Martha's belief in action. She does something that humanly is stupid. Roll the stone away. 
Open the tomb of a man dead four days, surely in the midst of decomposition. And then Jesus prays. Or rather, he gives thanks. Verse 41, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus gives thanks so that the people will realize he's not some kind of wonder worker. This isn't uh, something he's done by magic. No, he's the Holy One of God, the one sent from God who gives life. And then verse 43, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And wonderfully, Lazarus, the dead man, comes out. And friends, do you see Jesus' extraordinary power? Death is no barrier. It was as if he were asleep. And in that moment, he wakes. Someone's quipped that if Jesus had not said, Lazarus, come out, if he just shouted, come out, then the whole graveyard would have woken up then and there. Such is Jesus' great power. But what joy. What joy must there have been for Lazarus and his sisters? The one they thought they'd never see again is alive before their very eyes. And not only that, they have this great assurance of Jesus' power. I wonder as Lazarus uh, went on in his Christian life, if there were times when he doubted. Well, he could think back, couldn't he? I was once on my sickbed. I was once facing death. I was once, in fact, dead. And Jesus raised me from the dead. I know that he's real. I know that he's got power. Think of Lazarus as he faced death a second time. I know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. There's nothing to fear. I was dead and now I'm alive. But it's not just wonderful for that family. Unfortunately, verse 45 got missed from the, uh, the screen. But verse 45 says this. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Many Jews believed because what they saw But just for a moment, imagine if we'd written this story. We'd have had Jesus rush to Bethany. We'd have had Jesus heal Lazarus. Well, what would that have meant? It would have meant these people would never have heard of Jesus. It would have meant we'd have never had this great I am. We'd have never had this pledge of Jesus' great power. But think of those Jews who one day we'll see in heaven. They're there now marveling at God's goodness to them that... uh, they saw that miracle and were enabled to believe they'd never have been there. Because if we'd written the story, they'd have never seen God's sign or believed. Well, Lazarus and his family experienced, uh, Lazarus and his family experienced didn't work out how they expected. But Jesus is glorified. God is glorified. And you see what blessing it brought to God's people. I guess far more than they dared expect or imagine. Let me end with the story of a friend. Charlie and I met Dale in Japan. He and his wife had been missionaries. And when we moved there, some uh, eight or nine years ago now, he had just, Dale had just been widowed. His wife, Maud, had died. Together, they had been missionaries. They'd longed for Japanese people to come and know Jesus. And they'd prayed hard for decades, but they'd seen hardly any fruit. And then Maud was diagnosed with cancer. And she had a long and painful death. And in her last few months, she was placed in a hospice. She was in terrible agony. In Japan, they don't routinely give morphine to people with terminal illness. She was in terrible agony. And she was surrounded by people with absolutely no hope. Never even heard of Jesus. Never mind trusted in him. And Dale spoke 
with tears in his eyes, but also great joy of the way those last four months of their ministry, of Maud's life, had been the most fruitful of their entire missionary career as person after person saw Maud dying with great hope and asked what it was all about and she was able to save and share Jesus. Of course, that's not the path she'd chosen. Of course, if she'd written the story, she'd have loved to have kept pastoring. She'd have loved to have kept sharing the gospel. But if through her death she can reach out if her death is the way that many will come to know Jesus, if her death is the way that Christ will be glorified, then so be it, she said. Well, friends, I've no idea what will happen to you or to me this week, this month, this year. I've no idea what you're in the midst of at the moment. But whatever happens, do we see this truth we need deep down in our hearts? For when that terrible time comes, is everything happens for God's glory and for our good, it will draw us into closer fellowship with Jesus. And I pray that through the tears, through the grief, we'll be able to cling to that truth deep down in our hearts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you that in the midst of this world full of terrible things, you are working powerfully. And Father, I imagine that for some this morning, this comes and forces them to think of the grief, the pain they're facing now. And Father, we pray, please give them a sense of your grace. Please comfort them. Could they be comforted by the fact that Jesus weeps with them? And yet for many of us, life is rosy. And so we pray for, the, for those people that you would prepare us for this time. That when hard times come, for we know they will, we'd be ready we'd be assured that life is not spinning out of control, but that you are working for our good and for your glory. Father, have mercy on us. Comfort us individually and help us to be great comforts to each other. For Jesus' sake, amen.